Hi, it's Kylie Davis from the PropTech Podcast here with a bonus PropTech panel episode courtesy of the PropTech Association of Australia and Stone and Chalk. This panel looks at how technology is changing residential mortgage lending. Your guests are Anthony Baum from TikTok, Melissa Christie from 86400 and Tony Harris from Nell Fund. Your host is Jennifer Harrison, Vice President of PropTech Association Australia. Enjoy. Good afternoon, everyone. Hi, my name is Simon Hayes, and I'm the Secretary of the PropTech Association of Australia. And it's great to have you here for our monthly PropTech panel discussion. But before I begin, in the spirit of reconciliation, PropTech Association Australia acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respect to their elders, past and present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples joining us today. I'd especially like to thank our founding sponsors, Stone and Chalk, who have made this event possible. For those of you who don't know Stone and Chalk, it was founded as a not-for-profit in Sydney in 2015 to help fintech startups commercialise and grow. From 40 startups in 2015, it now has around 200 startups in Sydney, Melbourne, and Adelaide, covering all areas of emerging technology, including PropTech. Currently around 20 PropTechs course Stone and Chalk Home. And I'd also like to thank our other foundation sponsors, Ashurst Lawyers, Macquarie Bank, the Real Estate Institute of Western Australia, PEXA, and Webbit. Now, without Let's get into today's panel without further ado. And I will now like to hand it over to Jennifer Harrison, the Vice President of PropTech Association of Australia to conduct this discussion. Over to you, Jennifer. Thank you, Simon. Hello, and welcome to April's The PropTech Panel. Today, I'm super excited to be talking about two of my favorite things, namely finance and property. Yes, we are going to be talking about mortgages, but specifically, we're going to talk about the modern fintech way to get approved for a home loan more quickly and less painfully. Great Australian dream to own your own home. Now, for most people, that means saving the deposit and getting approved for a home loan. I've recounted to a few folks already an experience I had about 10 years ago now where I went to my relationship bank. I won't name them but I'd been a customer of this bank for about 20 years at the time. And I indicated to them that I'd recently returned from overseas and I wanted to get a home loan. So I was given an appointment with the mortgage specialist and we had a lovely cup of tea and we had a lovely chat. And then she explained to me the process. Now, obviously I was expecting that they would have requirements of information from me. What I wasn't expecting is that their process would have been quite so manual, quite so archaic, and quite frankly, quite so brutal. For example, I was asked to provide evidence that I had a deposit. I said, uh, I do. It's sitting there in my high interest online savings account with you. And the mortgage specialist said, that's fantastic, Jennifer. If you could just log on to online banking, 
if you could just take a screenshot of that and email it to me, that would be fantastic. And this was just the start. I was also asked to provide three months worth of credit card statements. I said, uh, are my credit cards with you? She said, that's fantastic, Jennifer. If you could just log on to online banking and print off three months worth of statements and scan them and PDF them and email them back, that would be fantastic. And so on and so forth. Now, this was my relationship bank. I've been with them for 20 years at this point in time. And they didn't get to earn the revenue from me from my home loan because I went looking elsewhere. Now, I can see our expert panellists nodding and laughing. And thankfully, today, it's different. So let's meet the panel and let's find out about how getting that deposit and getting that mortgage and getting onto the property ladder is better because we're using technology. First off on the panel today, we have Anthony Baum, who is the founder and CEO of TikTok. Hello, Anthony, welcome to the panel. And you're on mute. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. Thanks for joining us. Um, second on the panel, let's say good day and welcome to Melissa Christie, who is the lending product lead at Neobank 86400. Hello, Melissa. Hi, Jennifer, thanks for having me. Pleasure. And lastly, we have Tony Harris, who is a finance and property enthusiast and the co-founder and CEO of Nell Fund. Hi, Tony. Welcome to the panel. You'll need to come off mute as well. Unmute. I'm here. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you for your welcome. Hi, Anthony. It makes me shudder, Jennifer, that story. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's still going on and... And it'll be great to talk about some things today that we can share some experience of. But seriously, I, I saw the, the smiles from the other panellists and especially Melissa, who's been in this industry 15 years and, like, you know, like myself a long time. And it, and it still goes on. And that's what the sad part is. Yep. But that's also the massive opportunity of bringing fintech smarts into the property space. So Anthony, let's talk to you first, please. Can you tell us in a nutshell what TikTok does? Give us your elevator pitch. Uh, sure. So TikTok uh, is all about making uh, the process of home loan fulfillment faster, smarter, and simpler. So we're a capital T fintech, so we've developed a proprietary platform that uh, under the TikTok brand we launched in 2017 which basically uh, provides a digital home loan experience um, and we'll cover that in more detail. But also as a capital T FinTech, we make that technology available to the industry. So we now have three brands operating under the on the TikTok platform in the industry, TikTok, Bendigo and Adelaide Bank, and as of today, Aussie. Yes, I saw that announcement. Congratulations. That's fantastic Thank news. You. Tell us, though, why is the business called TikTok? So we're called TikTok because it is actually about time and it's about uh, time for the customer and time for our people. So we listened to your experience up front, Jennifer, and that is a very different experience from a TikTok customer, from a TikTok customer. 
And uh, the fastest we've done a home loan, dual applicant, starting application, fully approved home loan in their inbox is 58 minutes. But that took an assessor in our world 10 minutes of effort. So we've given time back to the customer and we've given time back to our people um, by automating and digitalizing the processes. Mm. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the core problem that you're solving for. I shared some of my own personal real life experience. And can you explain a little more about how you are using technology to solve for that problem? Sure. So basically, there's two things you need, three things you need to um, fulfill a home loan for a customer. You need the information that they need to provide you about themselves, assuming you don't know them like your bank does, um, about the property. And then you need to um, validate uh, all of that information, which is really about data. So the first part is about data, and then it's about automation of the data. So it's about using um, AI, everyone, very fashionable word, which is really process automation, but then using process automation, which is using that data to automate uh, the process. Um, and then basically um, digitalization of all of the business rules, circumstances, credit policies that underpin um, a home loan and basically bring that together with an ability for a human to interact with that data and those decisions to the extent they need to, and only to the extent they need to, to fulfill for that customer. And when you bring all that together, that is what um, an automated platform with human in the loop looks like. And that's effectively what we've developed, um, had in market now for, for three years and are offering to the industry. Fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you are going to market and engaging with the industry? What feedback are you getting? What reactions are you getting from them, whether that's positive um, or negative? Are they raising objections, for example? Well, uh, the from the industry or from customers? Oh, well, let's start with the industry. Okay. So with the industry, um, look, we are seeing um, platformification uh, really start to um, gain hold as a thematic within the, within the industry. We built TikTok on the premise that that would happen. Um, and by platformification, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the breakdown of brand, technology and balance sheet into component forms where you can put any brand, let's call it Aussie, with, any, with a technology platform, TikTok, on a balance sheet, Bendigo and Adelaide Bank, to basically create a, a leading digital customer experience and proposition. And you can get to market from signing a contract and um, effectively um, make the vast majority of your cost base variable by entering into a partnership like that as the brand. Um, and those two things together um, are clearly highly attractive. So we're really starting to see a lot of interest in, um, hang on, brand A, brand B, brand C, can we put, uh, can we go on your platform? Uh, now that, that brand may be tied to a balance sheet as a bank, it may not because it has a brand that carries into home loans. 
And so um, we're seeing a lots of interest. Um, you know, we're seeing this on both the lending side and now also on the deposit side. So you've got Afterpay, 10X Technology, Westpac. Hope you don't mind me saying this, Melissa, but you've got effectively Ubank, 86400 Technology, NAB Balance Sheet. So you see variations of the thematic, but that's effectively what we're started, starting to see play out uh, in the industry. Hmm. So do you think that the, the big four banks are maybe realising, and not just the big four banks, but some of the other banks are realising they need to partner and collaborate with fintechs? So the answer is yes, but it's slow and there still is a build bias. So whilst we talked about that thematic gaining hold, it'll still take more time, but it will happen in my opinion. And a really good example, um, you know, a really good example is if you look at the data out of um, the global studies that are done by people like Accenture's, uh, Accenture, you know, 70 to 80% of transformation programs, regardless of industry and, and particularly in financial services, are failing. So, you know, $1.3 trillion was spent globally on transformation within um, projects um, last year based on uh, Accenture's estimates. 70 to 80% of that investment will be waste. So it, it is something that, you know, I think is going to gain more traction. The more successful stories there are through partnership, be that, you know, TikTok with Bendigo and Adelaide Bank or 10X with Westpac or whoever, you will see, um, you know, the, the platforms that are the technology part of the equation. And they're not just technology. I'll come on to that with one last comment. But um, that part um, become a business uh, model, a strategy and structure in itself. And brands and balance sheets will leverage um, that capability. Because if you're going to offer a platform proposition, it is actually not just technology. The technology is the enabler, but really you're combining a different culture, a different way of managing risk, a different way of thinking about process. It's, it's completely different. And then technology and bringing all those four things together to deliver a proposition. Yeah. Um, so, yes, that's where we see it at. Yeah, I think there's definitely something very different about the fintech way of doing things. And I also personally think that the, the passion and purpose of the founder to solve a problem is incredibly powerful. Um, so, Anthony, can you tell us a little bit, what was, was there any particular inspirational moment um, where you thought, hey, I know what I want to do next. I want to found a fintech. <laughs> um, well, I went, first thing I did was go and run one. So I was an ex-bank exec. I went and ran a fintech um, called ThinkSmart, um, which is now part of Flexi in Australia and part of Afterpay in the UK. Um, that business was sold. And then, you know, from that world, um, stepping into um, some discussions and visibility to the bank world from which I'd come, I started just simply looking at, well, hang on, if you applied those things, culture, different ways of managing risk, different process, 
different technology and you brought that together, the, the transformation you could make in the customer experience were, um, or create in the customer experience versus what was being done in the banking industry to, you, to your earlier example, Jennifer, was just um, exponential. It was definitely 10 times faster. It was definitely 10 times cheaper. Um, it definitely had much higher levels of regulatory compliance and it would drive better asset quality. And, you know, so I started talking to banks about what was possible and I built a very nice little consulting business off the back of that. And I'd literally watch, you know, a very expensive design and exploration of what was possible get paid for and then it would basically go in a draw. And I thought the only way to do this and to prove what is possible is actually to do it ourselves. And that was really the driver for, for TikTok. Um, and we started on that journey, obviously, um, you know, in about uh, 2005, six, sorry, 2015, 16. And here we are. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yes, that's perfect. Thank you so much, Anthony, for telling us those um, quite um, informative and inspirational pieces about your work at TikTok. Melissa, let's come to you and talk about the neobank way to get a mortgage. Um, can you tell us, first of all, what, what is 86400? Is there an elevator pitch? How do you explain to people when you say you work for 86400? So I, I know that most people know us as a neobank. We like to call ourselves a smart bank, um, Australia's first smart bank. And I guess the whole purpose of 86400 is to provide something different to the market in banking and help customers take control of your money. What does that mean? That means um, giving you um, additional features in your app that you can control your whole financial world. So that's all your banking across all the institutions you have, give you insights, um, show you your upcoming bills uh, and give you insights on how you spend and how you save your money. And as well as that, we obviously have home loans and our digital home loan um, is to improve that end-to-end um, -end mortgage experience as well. Perfect. And what is the business's name all about? Why is it called 86400? Well, funnily enough, uh, it's also about time. Um, but ours, uh, 86400 is a, the number of seconds in a day. Um, but it actually came from that we will um, help you control your money every second of every minute of every day. Wonderful, thank you. Now, coming to the lending product and specifically mortgages, tell us more about the problems you saw in the mortgage market and how you are using digital and technology to solve for those problems. Yep. So I joined 86400 over three years ago um, and I've got um, quite extensive experience in mortgages. And I guess the key problems that were... Um, that were presented that wherever I've been, but particularly with brokers, is the amount of time it takes to get an approval was number one. That was the core thing that people, um, brokers and customers had an issue with. And the second one was how much paperwork needed to be provided for an application. So they're the two core things that I was looking to solve. And and what we've built, um, really, we don't require any paperwork for a refinance application at all. So obviously, we use data to um, to provide all the different um, pieces of information we need from a customer. And for a purchase, all we need is a contract of sale. 
And so going through the process of developing our proposition and building and developing our requirements, you know, uh, and we are broker, we are 100% broker. Um, I, I used all the, the big banks, um, you know, broker checklists of everything they need to provide. They can be six to eight pages of documents on different scenarios, all the documents you need to provide. And one by one, I went through them all and said, do we need that? If we need it, how can we do it differently? Um, and that was the process of going through, well, we don't need that. How can we, for instance, uh, validate rental income if they're purchasing a new investment property? So there we have plugged in a rental ABM on that. So looked at all those different things and how we could uh, to use data to essentially verify the information up front. So when it gets into our back office, there is a lot less for our team to do. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Can you tell us more a little bit about how you are going to market? How are you using mortgage brokers and what feedback are you getting from brokers and also from borrowers? So um, we have at the moment, we use 13 different distribution partners, um, the bigger ones, AFG, Connective, Mortgage Choice, VAL and SFG. Um, so they're, I guess they're our key distribution partners it was extremely hard to get onto distribution panels when you're an unknown uh, brand name, you're a number, and you also do things differently to everybody else in the market. So we've come a long way um, in the last couple of years to get the buy-in from those brokers uh, and to get on those aggregator panels. And part of that is also about brokers hearing about our proposition and what we were doing differently. And I'd say the power of PR and social media has helped us there in that brokers were actually going to their aggregators and going, why can't I get this loan on our, why is this lender not on our panel? So that really helped us getting the messaging out about quicker, faster, easier um, to process. And we have brokers that, um, obviously love us. Um, there's some brokers that what we do is not for them. They're more traditional, but we have brokers coming back and back again, just saying it's so much easier. Um, and, and there's so much less follow-up because we can get you an answer very quickly. Mm. And are you getting anyone objecting to the changes you're bringing to the market? Definitely. I mean, there are brokers that will, won't use us. They're more paper-based and that's just the way they are. Um, there's also customers who don't want to um, electronically scrape their, their income and expenses and get us to categorise it and provide it that way. And unfortunately, no one likes to lose business, but if you, that's the only way you can provide your income and expenses. You cannot send in paper copies. So the customer doesn't want to do that. We tell our BDMs when you're speaking to a broker, as part of working out if the scenario fits us, you need to ask if they're going to scrape their bank accounts because if they don't, we're not the bank for them um, because that whole manual process does not fit our model and we're not resourced in the back office to cope with that. Mm, great. And can you tell us a little bit more about what's on the product roadmap? I mean, what have you got planned to come up in the later months of this year and possibly into next year? So we've got loads of things to actually continue to improve that broker experience even better. So that's the broker and customer experience, but also get more efficiencies in the back office so we can approve things faster. Um, at the moment, the quickest we've turned around alone is about one hour and 50 minutes. So it's a bit longer than Anthony, but we are still working on um, all those different rules we've got and how we can get more things sailing 
sailing through. But the big thing for us that we are uh, launching and we're actually in pilot doing uh, real live loans today is our direct to consumer channel. Um, that will be an online experience where the customer can apply and do it all themselves. Um, and that's, um, that's coming very, very soon. So we're very excited about that. Wow, that's really interesting because um, probably only second to how much Aussies love property, a lot of Aussies really love their mortgage broker as well. I know a lot of Aussies who've had their mortgage broker, you know, as best man at their, at their wedding. It's a symbiotic relationship. But I think it does make sense. As more and more we have the smartphone in our hand and the smartphone is taking care of lots and lots and lots of things in our life, it makes sense that we'll be getting a mortgage, you know, in minutes from our yep, mobile yeah. phone. And the broker obviously plays an important role for more complex deals and will always be our biggest channel. But, you know, if you've got a simple vanilla under 80% LVR, PAYG, you know, you you know, I've, you've refinanced a couple of times before, you know what you're doing, then, you know, the direct channel is for you. So we're very excited to share that um, very soon. But we, um, we started our pilot just last week. Oh, how exciting. Awesome. Well, Melissa's just mentioned LVR, the loan to valuation ratio, which is a perfect segue to come and talk about deposits. So as our property prices in Australia keep going up and up, to get that 10 or 20% deposit goes up and up and up as well. And increasingly millennials and Gen Z are requiring the bank of mum and dad's help um, or they're taking years to save the deposit. There was a newspaper article earlier this year that said a professional couple saving for a deposit on a house in Sydney could be looking at an 11-year journey to save that deposit. So, Tony, let's come and talk to you now about Nell Fund. Can you tell us, please, what's your elevator pitch? What's Nell Fund all about? Well, Jennifer, I'm so excited. If, if I could get a loan, obviously I'd go and talk to Melissa or Anthony. But the problem we're solving is when, they, when clients haven't got a deposit, they, you know, they're madly saving, trying to buy a property, especially in Sydney and Melbourne. And the reality is they seem to be giving up. They're becoming, getting further and further behind in saving for a deposit because at, at this point in time, they're not getting the help. They're not getting government help. They're not getting stamp duty help. And the reality is they're getting really frustrated. And I've been in this space for 20 years now and it's always been a problem where I believe the people that, that can afford a mortgage should be having a mortgage and they can get a mortgage. So what we've tried to do, and we are out there now doing it, we're putting a co-funding model together. Now, as we know, when you talked about the LVR, Jennifer, anything above 80% in most cases requires mortgage insurance. And mortgage insurance is very expensive. And there are only two major players now um, with QBE and Genworth. And, um, you know, Melissa and Anthony can join me and say they know how expensive mortgage insurance is when you've got high LVRs. So we're trying to solve that problem in getting a, with our co-funding model. So our co-funding model will work on the basis that you'll go and get a first mortgage from TikTok or 86400. And then we, as the, as the uh, co-funding provider, will provide the other amount of money. And so what we'll do is that we'll have a second mortgage behind their first mortgage. Um, yes, technology will play a big part, 
But in more than, than, than so many experiences, what we're going to be doing is helping people through the process. Because what I've found so often is, is that when people are buying their first home, they don't really have much of an idea. And we want to be able to use that experience to help them because it's important that they buy the right property with all the data that's available in the right location. And obviously that they're in a position that they can service the debt. So when we're supplying the co-funding amount, we will be charging them. And our modeling has been done on a 5% per annum for that portion. And we'll ideally have a term of five years to do that. It won't be a shared equity model, but basically at the end of the term of the five years, we believe that the property they've bought has gained capital growth. In a lot of cases, their, their income has increased and they will also then pay what we call a capital fee at the end of that period. And we want to encourage them so that they can get into property a lot sooner than the 10 years you've mentioned to save the money and where the property market's going because look, it's been an ongoing frustration for me after many years now that I see people giving up. And you and I are both addicted to property, Jennifer, that people are just giving up in actually getting a home. These statistics say that if you actually haven't bought a home by the time you're 42, you never will. And people are actually waiting longer and longer to get into the property market and look what we've seen, seen recently. So we're really excited about uh, fixing that problem. And the other thing with all our calculations and all our financials, we believe that our product in the right location with the right capital growth will be cheaper than mortgage insurance. So really we're quite excited about that to start going into that space. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, um, you know, for most of us, that your principal price of residence is your single biggest asset. And many Australians have been able to cope with, you know, risks and things that life throws at you, like the death of a loved one or divorce or, or, or disease or some other kind of personal disaster. They've been able to cope with those life events because they owned their own home. And people who are renting are much more vulnerable um, and have much less resilience to cope if life does throw those kinds of eventualities at them. Um, I'm curious to know, Tony, what does Nell Fund stand for? Why is the business called that? Well, Nell, as you can see from my logo behind, um, Nell is nest egg living. And so with our bird, did you actually create the nest egg um, for creating your wealth as your life cycle goes through. And we won't just be helping owner-occupiers. And it's in helping owner-occupiers with our co-funding model, you know, they may be able to buy a property now, but it's not the one they want. It's not the one that they want to live in. It's not close to work. It's not close to their community where they live. So what we're able to do is use what funds they have to be able to get into the property that they want now rather than later and down the track. And obviously, Jennifer, 10 years is a long time to save the money and maybe you've got a couple of kids by then and couples and they just get further and further outside the home ownership. And as we all know, Aussies love property um, and there is still that ambition that people, even what we've been through with COVID-19, they still want to get into a property themselves and we believe that we're solving that problem. Yeah. 
So, Tony, tell us a little bit more about your your team and your your founder's journey. You've been in and around finance and property for a long time. Was there a particular moment of inspiration when you and your co-founder decided, you know what, we can see a problem, we're going to solve for it? Look, um, for so long I've been around finance and, and relate to what Anthony and Melissa are saying about this whole industry. And for many years now, I've found that, um, clients and, and prospective purchasers on high incomes that can afford the mortgages just can't get that deposit together. And I've actually become really frustrated over many years that these people can't get into property. They haven't got, unfortunately, a grandmother who's passed away, left us some money. Mum and dad bank, as you mentioned, Jennifer, with, with guarantees and guarantors. The reality is the baby boomers, and I've fit into that category, have it with three children. How do you help three children with deposits and guarantees and to get into it? And you just can't do it. Um, and so I've, I've realised this over, over 20 years in financial services and mortgage broking, that the reality is I didn't want those people to miss out because they shouldn't miss out because it, it, it's fundamentally a need to have a roof over your head. And so it hasn't been like a light bulb moment but the, the further I got down this track, it just became so frustrating that no one was actually solving the problem. Um, and I believe we can. And so where are you on the journey and on your route to market? The reality is we've prepared everything. We're about at the point now that we're going to be doing a seed capital raise. Um, we've done so much work on this over, over many years. Um, with, with all our experience with myself, the co-founder, um, Ben Brocken. Um, he's really good on the financial, the very, on the financial side. He identified this as he fits in the millennial category, a bit, bit different to me on the, uh, on the baby boomer side. But together we've developed this. We've spent a lot of time and our money in getting it to this point. And now we're at the point we will want to raise seed capital of having some great discussions with funders and lenders and also the distribution channels. And we really believe, I think we've got something. And yes, I'd love to be talking to 86400 and TikTok about our product. Well, I was going to ask you about that. So when I recounted my own personal experience of my bank, they wanted to see that I'd actually saved the deposit. Have you had feedback and discussions with the lenders who will be taking the first registered mortgage about is, is there a perception issue or how will they factor this into their risk profiling and credit decisioning to make that main loan and take that first mortgage? Jennifer, I think that's a, it's a really good question. Um, we've been very conscious of it, but as you can appreciate, the first mortgage provider is, is, is taking the loan up to 80%. And so there's obviously with our product, there's no mortgage insurance involved. So the reality is the first mortgage provider is very well secured. They obviously rely on us because we have now obtained from ASIC a Australian credit licence for our product and they know that in terms of the National Consumer Credit Protection Act that we have to be very responsible in terms of who we lend to and in working with a first mortgage provider, we'll be able to convince them in terms of our responsibility and all our governance and compliance, that together we can pick the right clients, number one, and that we can also pick the right properties. And, and obviously, Anthony's very experienced in using the data and the AI that's out there uh, to select the clients because the reality is there's so much data on all of us 
and there's so much data on the properties. So it's, it's matching that up to give the confidence to the first mortgage provider that this is a good product. And ideally, we're going at, the, at the, this point in time, we're going for a cohort of millennials that are earning good incomes, that can afford the amount of borrowings that's entailed in this and that they can, serve, they can service the loan. Um, and the reality is the first mortgage provider is also going to share with us some really good quality clients. Wonderful. I mean, I'm in very interested by what you're doing in terms of financial inclusion, because I, I read a newspaper article, I think it was just last week, that the Bank of Mum and Dad is now something like the ninth biggest home lender in Australia. The average size of the loan from Mum and Dad is $90,000, and that $90,000 is for the purpose of putting down the deposit. Now, not everyone has a Mum and Dad who can lend them $90,000. So from a financial inclusion perspective, I'm really liking what you're trying to do at Nell Fund, Tony. Um, thanks for talking with us. Anthony, I might come back to you now for um, a few more rapid-fire questions and Melissa and Tony as well. And if anyone does want to ask a question live, to one of our panellists, please use the Q&A function down the bottom in the middle of your screen. Anthony, can you tell us a little bit more about what you've got coming down the pike for the rest of this year and going into next year? What have you got on the product roadmap? Um, so our, our product roadmap is primarily driven um, around our platform. So we launched it in July 2017. And basically, we continue to in invest extensively in our automation and um, and in making our model um, uh, making our platform modulized. So today, we have built the platform in a way that it's um, fully integrated. Uh, what we've started to do is break the platform down into a series of blocks or modules. Um, those modules are available, um, are going to be available to the industry as we release them. The first module that we've released is called Xi Validate, which is the um, uh, which is our digital validation of financial position capability. And really, what that's designed to do is enable other platform aspirants and other lenders that don't want to use our platform holistically like Bendigo or Aussie do to actually say, well, we want that module. We're going to integrate it into our technology stack and, and use that part of your platform in our proposition. So really it's about the modularization of our platform is really our product roadmap um, with the first components I validate um, having been launched um, uh, in 2020. And we have our first customers on that product um, working with us to refine it. It is a SaaS product. Um, it's configurable. Um, but also we're seeing a lot of use cases for, well, you've got these amazing AI models. We actually want these, we want these models and integrate that into our technology as well. So um, as a SaaS product, um, uh, so really, you know, our strategy is aligned to that. In a, in a way, um, componentization of what we already do. Mm, it's kind of the the unbundle to rebundle approach <laughs> of fintech. Lovely, wonderful. Um, thanks, Anthony. Melissa, I'm curious to know from you when you 
were um, making the decision to go and take the job offer at 86400 what from a personal perspective was exciting or maybe a little bit concerning for you to take that move in your career so when I was approached via LinkedIn for this role, um, it was a no-brainer for me. I knew I wanted it. Um, a bit of background is um, I've obviously I've worked in financial services for over 20 years, but specifically in mortgages for about 15 or a bit more. Um, in the UK, I worked on two um, new online banking startups and I worked on their mortgage propositions. Um, and they, that was the best role I'd ever had to start something from, from a blank piece of paper. Um, and now I just worked on what that proposition would look like and started them off. I was contracting at the time in London. Um, so, and I left those businesses. I also went to, uh, to Virgin Money to, to start up their um, mortgage business. But I guess for me, I was following um, companies like Adam Bank in the UK and things like that for a long time. And I know I really wanted to have a go at setting something up from scratch end to end and get it live and see it see it thrive. Um, so when this came through in LinkedIn, I had no idea who it was. In the first interview, I had no idea who it was. It was called Project Sparkle. I turned up. I didn't know who I was speaking did you to. Say, sorry, did you say Project Sparkle? Correct. Yeah. Project Sparkle. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, so I turned up at Project Sparkle. I had an interview. Um, they said, there's nothing here, nothing's done. It's a blank sheet of paper. And I went, right, that's what I want to do. Um, worked out by the second interview that Cuscow were backing it. So that did give me a little bit more comfort um, and never looked back. I knew that that's what I wanted to do to have that influence over an end-to-end -end process and do it right the first time. Well, you know. Maybe not right the first time, we're still getting there, but you know what I mean? Like have that influence and being able to influence how the credit policy and the systems and everything works together. Um, that, you know, that was crucial for me. And um, yeah, I can't wait to even make it even better than it is today. Yeah, well, look, I think 86400, it's extremely impressive. The overall strategy, the launch of product. Um, I'm an 86400 customer myself. I love the app. And look, I think the acquisition by NAB is just a huge congratulations to you and the rest of the team and massive validation as to what you've achieved and also the power of fintech. Yeah. Um, Tony, um, I'm curious to know from you as a Stone and Chalk resident, and Stone and Chalk are one of our foundation supporters at the PropTech Association Australia, and they are our event partner for the PropTech panel. Can you tell us a little bit about what does it mean to be part of a co-working space like Stone and Chalk? Look, I think the best thing I've been involved in Stone and Chalk as a founder um, way back in 2016. Um, look, it, it, it's great to have the support um, because um, as we know, as we as all the panelists know, startups are pretty tough. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a tough gig and it's pretty lonely. And you're questioning yourself all the time that if you're really on the track. Um, I love that saying of Seth Godin, you know, fail fast. And I think sometimes I think I'm failing slow. Um, and so that kind of uh, having the network of stone and chalk and the support that's here um, is really important. And it, it's been a big plus. I think it's helped me keep going um, because if you really believe in something and you're passionate about it and you really believe that you're solving a pain point, um, I think you need all the help you can get. So, uh, yeah, it, it's great to be involved. I love Stone and Chalk being involved in PropTech. Um, it's obviously a new association um, and to have that, the backing 
of, of Stony Chalk is, is really important. So I'm looking forward to some really good things that the PropTech Association is doing. Thank you, Tony. Um, okay, last call for live questions using the Q&A function on the webinar. Otherwise, I might come for the final round of questions. And um, before we say our thank yous and goodbyes to say, is there anything else that you'd like the viewers to know that we haven't covered already? And Anthony, um, can I come to you first? Uh, I think I think the first thing that um, I would say is if you're involved in uh, property technology, um, the importance that the digital channel will represent for your um, for your customers today in Australia. Remember that digital start digital home loans, finish digital is still only about six percent of the market. But if you roll forward five years. I'd expect that if we follow the US trends, where it's now 35% of the market, we will be in that spectrum as a, as a segment. So we're really at the start of the, the transformation of the customer behavior change, the scale of the, the channel opportunity, um, and how it will really, uh, really be important um to to the Australian economy that we you know that we that we continue to be the developer of really good proprietary digital propositions and technologies because they're going to capture that that market um and you know so um you know we, we our doors are open to support anyone that is trying to achieve that um, within the bounds of you know what what what's feasible for us commercially, but you know we we're here to be part of that ecosystem and that change. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, digital is really only just getting started. Digital is by no means done. Um, Anthony and also possibly Melissa, a question has come up in the chat relating to compliance. And I know, Anthony, um, you're adamant that what you do at TikTok actually improves regulatory outcomes and compliance. And yep. the question is, is some of the resistance that we might see in the industry rooted in concerns around compliance? Look, um, our, our belief is that technology with human in the loop provides at a fundamental uh, macro level overall better compliance with with policy um, because humans forget to do things technology does not forget to do things so yes you need the ability in certain circumstances to put a human in the middle of the regulatory aspects of the process just like any other but by and large, you can build really strong regulatory frameworks using technology. Um, this, this, that transformation started 20 years ago when products like Green ID started replacing humans looking at um, licenses, physical licenses to um, validate person from a KYC perspective. So, you know, the reality is, is that um, the whole process um, at a macro level, uh, regulatory compliance can be better and more consistently applied when technology is leveraged 
in that process extensively. And then the other thing I'd say is it's such a shame, and I'm I am very outlier on this. I know that we're actually not leveraging the technology to make having the responsible lending legislation in place um, uh, viable from an industry perspective. We're saying actually just remove the legislation as opposed to using the technology that exists to solve it. Um, and so, and so, you know, for us getting to a specific thing that we've been focused on, um, but regardless, that first broader principle, whether it's responsible lending or APRA rules or ASIC rules, otherwise, whatever it is, um, we see regulation being better for the fact that technology exists. Mm. And just to add that, I totally agree with um, what Anthony said, is that from my point of view, I think our process is actually more compliant. Um, you know, in a, with a traditional lender, you're relying on a customer to declare what they spend. Customers actually lose track. They tap here, they tap there. They don't have any idea how much they spend. And what we do as part of our process is we scrape all your accounts from all your institutions and present back to you this is what you spend in all these categories. Now you tell us if that's not right and why that's not right. So, you know, we start from fact and then we work from there. Yeah, I think the obsession with telling with asking people to fill in forms to say how much they spend on postage stamps every fortnight. Um, I, 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 look, I, I, I don't get Does it. Does anyone have <laughs> <on> postage stamps? <laughs> <laughs> um, Melissa, anything else about 86400 that you'd like the viewers to know that we haven't already covered? No, I just think, um, look, for us, it's been uh, a tough journey to break through with brokers in particular, because what we do is so different. Um, and I know the other lenders at some point will catch up to what we're doing. And I think we've just paved the way for them because brokers don't like change. Um, but We've got so many brokers on the 86400 drug now that it's fantastic and um, um, we're going to be welcoming more aggregators very soon. So, Fantastic. And Tony, anything about NEL funds that we haven't covered that you'd like people to know? Look, Jennifer, I think you raised a really, a really good point about, um, you know, the bank of mum and dad. And the reality is, as baby boomers get older, they're getting to the point where, oh, my goodness, I've given X amount of dollars to my children or, or you know, mortgage my house. And I think, I think I need the money back. And I think that's going to be going forward a really difficult conversation to say, hang on, um, I'm getting a bit low on cash and I've got to continue my life. What am I going to do? And I think also that we've, we've identified that Nell Fund can help in that situation as well because we can actually take the bank of mum and dad out. We can refinance the bank of mum and dad. And that I've seen would believe, um, I believe, take an enormous amount of pressure of families when, when mum and dad have been generous in the early days when they've, before they've retired, then they get to their, into their 70s and go, oh my goodness, I think I need the cash. So um, that's something I, that we've realised only, you know, quite recently that we can really be helping that problem going forward. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting, Tony. Very interesting indeed. Well, I think we've about reached time. Um, so I think it might be um, behoven on me now to say thank you to Anthony Baum from TikTok. Thank you. Thank you to Melissa Christie from 86400. Thank you. And thank you to Tony Harris from Nell Fund.
Thanks, Jennifer. And I've really enjoyed listening to Melissa and Anthony. And look, they're doing some great things. And uh, thank you to PropTech Association and Stan and Chalk. Likewise. Thank you to all the panellists. Uh, if you follow us on LinkedIn, um, you'll see some follow-up posts on the panel and the link of the recording of this will also be made available and we'll advise you and that's available on the PropTech Association Australia LinkedIn page. If you're not already following us, please do. Thank you very much and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. Bye.